Welcome to another Tarotty Chat podcast. My name is Osman Mughal and I am your host today. In November 2019, I, along with 13 credible staff and volunteers from Human Relief Foundation, or HRF for short, travelled to Jordan in support of Syrian refugees. The purpose? To meet, listen and educate ourselves about the plight of some of the most vulnerable citizens in our world and to begin to provide support in order to fulfil their rights. Human Relief Foundation is an international organisation working in disadvantaged communities around the world, including France, Ethiopia, Ghana, Iraq, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh and of course Jordan. HRF's vision is a world in which every man, woman and child can enjoy an empowered life in security, dignity and with equal opportunities. On today's podcast, I am delighted to be joined by two volunteers that joined me on our trip, Hamid and Nav, who will share their experiences and insights from our trip. In this podcast, we will discuss the several activities that we engage with, including distributing thousands of life-saving food and winter packs, the family visits where we had the privilege to hear firsthand of the experiences of those that had fled Syria, an orphan fun day where we had the pleasure of enjoying a day with orphans, an important part to restoring dignity and well-being in the lives of children, and a fundraising night where as a group we raised over £35,000 for those Syrian refugees that we had met and that had touched our hearts. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. One thing that I really wanted to understand before we delve into the Jordan deployment itself that we attended as a team is your motivations behind going in the first place. We've seen what's come out of Syria in the last eight years since the civil war started in 2011. We've seen the images and we've seen the stories. But what made you sign up, travel across the world so you can do a deployment in Jordan? Um, to be honest, I've always wanted to go on a deployment and for, I've been trying to look for deployments for about three years now. Um, I couldn't find any deployments. I've been, uh, I've been searching online. I've found, like, I found a few deployments that where you have to pay money and you go to Africa or something. But I just felt like it, was, I felt like it wasn't right. Um, paying money to go and, to go and teach and, and stuff like that. So I was thinking, um, yeah, let me just look further. So I, I stopped looking for a while. Um, and luckily once, when I, uh, I met someone outside, outside my library in university, um, a student in my university as well, um, that was actually planning to go on a, dep a deployment um, and she asked me to uh, to help her raise money for the deployment um, and, I, and I told her that I was interested in going to the deployment as well so she got me in contact with the, with the um, Human Relief Foundation and from then I signed up to the deployment um, I've always wanted to have a hands-on experience um, in, in charity and see how it actually is uh, so yeah, that's that's what made me want to go to be honest no. Uh, for me, it was more sort of. I feel like I was, I, I was, I was blessed uh, to go. I signed up to five different deployments at, uh, at two or three o'clock in the morning, um, and Sister Javelia from the HRF uh, deployment uh, office, sorry, 
um, got back to me the very next day uh, while I was at work and uh, it, that was it from there. Um, I've done a few charity diplomas before. I've worked with Syrian refugees in Turkey before and I kind of made a promise that, you know, it, I'd come back because uh, there's, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of help to give. Yeah, I'm in the similar boat to NAV actually because I also have been on a previous deployment to Jordan in April 2018 and listeners may remember that from the podcast I did then. And it was for me, I wanted to go back and see what had changed. And obviously, as you mentioned, there's a lot more to do. And while we support, you know, a few hundred people while we're out there, or even a few thousand, the fact is that the the need there is so great. Yeah. And there's the, the, the need is always changing at the same time. Um, and as the situation progresses and gets worse day by day, there's more need for us to, and more organisations are there going out there um, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. So it's really important that organisations themselves don't duplicate the work and actually work together to ensure a better outcome for the beneficiaries yeah. at the same time. To, better, to have a better outreach and to try and spread, because there's, there's so many refugees there, uh, some in very remote locations. Uh, so it's important to, in different countries, so it's important to reach out to, to everyone if possible. Yeah. So it's all about the, the charity organisations being organised themselves and communicating with one another to, to make sure that no one's left out mm. in the cold. That's a really good point because when I went to my last deployment, I went to even more remote places within Jordan, yeah. right across the Syria border. Okay. Um, and this time I went to, we obviously went to Zatri yeah. refugee camp, which we'll discuss a little bit later. And we saw the Hope um, Centre there, so we'll, we'll touch on that a bit later. But when I went to, in, on my first trip, it was really remote, like elderly people that couldn't get access to mm. Zatri or any other refugee camp, like Azra refugee camp. So it's really important to see the both in play. Yeah. And just how it's different. So should we get into the deployment itself? Most of us didn't know one another. Mm. I'm sure a few did. Hamid, yeah. you know a couple of people, right? I knew two actually, two yeah. People. Two people actually. Yeah, three actually. Three? Oh lad. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, three, three. It was um Nadir, Omar and Fatma. I met them um before obviously spent I spent a bit of time with them. Yeah. Nadir is actually um a student at the same university as me, so yes. uh, we actually found out that he's going on the same deployment okay. from the group chat when I saw his name. Oh really? Yeah. You didn't know that before? I didn't know that before. Okay. Um yeah, but yeah, but it was it was a pleasure getting to meet no, all you, you guys as well. It's crazy though, like you could know someone yes. who's got the same vision or wants to do the same thing but you won't sort of charity is not one of those things that's outspoken mm. too yeah. loudly so yeah. you knew him uh, but you but yet you didn't know you're both going to change so many thousands of mm. lives something uh, you both wanted to do to happen it's not something that i chose to do it's not something that's something that i was i was um, gifted with yes. um and chosen for and i'm i'm happy to be to be part of this and, and get to meet a lot of good uh, people and in, in the deployment as well. And I hope that we can do many more deployments in the future. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't personally, I didn't know nobody, but um, there was, what, 28 people, I think? Yeah, uh, 28, yeah. Volunteers, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the staff is 35, but uh, very quickly you, you realise everyone's on sort of similar wavelengths and I've met some great people that, you know, I mean, how many times have we met up? We've met yeah. up quite a few mm. times since we come back three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah It's absolutely. beautiful, it's amazing. Now with you guys, even this podcast is, is proof of that. We'll reach out to so many more people. Mm. Yet if we didn't go on this deployment, I wouldn't know who you are or you mm. would just walk past each other in the street. Absolutely, yeah. and that's a really good point about, yes, we're going on a deployment. 
we are acting as ambassadors when we come back to share the stories that we've heard personally to family and friends and mm. hopefully that creates a domino effect as well yeah. uh, in the way we're able to reach more more kind of communities and more people here in England and across Europe yeah, yeah. I feel like you like you're only sort of limited to what you limit yourself to so mm. you can get the message out there uh, as far wide as possible and it will have like uh, like I said a ripple effect on the amount of change we're able to do so the aim for me personally is just to try and have as much impact uh, as possible um, hence why some of us I mean all three of us are doing more deployments as well yes. yeah. we've already signed up yeah. even before we left Jordan yeah. we were signing up so, no, I've signed up to two I'm doing the Morocco Marathon and uh, Winter Aid in Lebanon you're coming yeah, to Morocco, to Morocco yeah. yeah I'm going to Iraq yeah, that yeah. Was yeah. in April brilliant so shall we get into the actual deployment itself so obviously the key activities that we did out there included the food distributions yeah included the orphan fun day yeah the family visits which was a personal favorite yeah. of mine the fundraising night which we held on the saturday Small night, night. Yeah. and we'll also touch on reflection sessions and how important mm -hmm. that is to when you are at such a high intensity and yeah. going through a range of emotions how important that is but do you guys want to start on perhaps the food distributions because we did that on the first yeah. day didn't we yeah, so the way the food distributions worked is uh, it, it was different with HRF than, than it was with another charity I went to. Uh, with these guys, it's a, I feel like it's a, a lot more organised. Um, it's very sort of effective. Uh, we went to um, the unit where all the food was. Zamzam Warehouse. Yeah, um, good memory. And uh, beautiful name as well. And uh, yeah, we, we had to go at, uh, packing some of the food parcels, seeing what, what goes in there, seeing how heavy they are firsthand. And um, it was just amazing at how much food went into that food pack. Uh, that mm. food pack. There was, uh, I think, at least 40 kg, 45 kg. Yeah. It was, I think, it was, it was around, I think it was around 30, 30 kg, something kind of that much. You're a bit wench, so. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, no, but it was, it was um, filled with stuff like um, uh, lentils. It's most of it is dry food, so they could last longer, obviously. Yeah. So, but it was, you'd have stuff like lentils, um, sugar, uh, pasta, a lot of just um, like carbs kind of food. Uh, you've got rice, you've got, yeah, it was filled with a lot of stuff that would um, that would last them up to up to a month, which we really take for granted. You just see um, these like these kind of foods. I see them uh, in the back of the in the back of the cupboard, um, where you don't really look at it like it's something. Um, and what what I was able to see when I was there is uh, how much it benefits these people. Like how much these little stuff that we take for granted that we see at the back of our cupboards um, that we don't really use that much. Uh, how how these guys like try um, maximize the way they use that? Do you understand? They have to literally look at the, the amount of pasta they're using for the day, look at the amount of um, chickpeas or something they're using for the day, um, and and just try like make it last because it's something they depend on. Another a point that was seen made uh, while we was packing. The so we're seen with one of our team leaders yeah. on Human Relief Foundation yeah. trip. Yeah. So. Um, uh, a very good point that he made and a, a thing that I didn't really take into consideration when pa packing the food parcels was he said you're going to pack this food parcel and you're going to move on to the next one and you're going to move on to the next one you're going to move on to the next one you ain't going to even think about how much someone's going to be or what the family is like that's going to need this food pack or how much they're praying for it or you've gone back to the UK and you've been in the UK three, four, five weeks but there's still a family that's making use of this food pack and 
that's something that just kind of swept me off my feet to be honest because I mm. thought you're right I've just been packing a food pack and then on to the next one on to the next one I haven't been thinking about this is someone this is something that someone's been praying for 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 the last three four weeks probably mm. uh, maybe even longer um, mm. and then go in there to actually give it to them and you see you know how they no longer have to worry about food and then they have to go and worry about something else now so mm. medicine it's like a it's like a never changing sort of struggle yeah and for me I think I was n- probably a bit naive to the fact that how important a food pack is because yeah, I only I'm saw sure. it as a, a short-term solution not the long-term mm. solution and obviously it's a short-term solution there are longer-term solutions that we can focus on as well while we're out there but I think like you said it gives them that breathing space that they yeah. can spend or they can save money for their rent otherwise they will be made homeless you know they can spend um, or save up money for their medical bills because all of the families that we visited had an underlying medical yeah. condition whether it be cancer but there'll be um, other conditions that yeah. um, that War we heard about yeah. exactly. Mm. So I thought that the food pack itself, just saying that your you know sixty pound is a food mm. is is um, is a cost of a food pack out there, and to us that doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah. And perhaps when we're donating to causes when we're here, we think, would you rather donate to a well mm. or a food pack? I think most people will go towards a well, even if it's a share of a well. But I, one of the things that I was you know, shocked by is the importance of a food pack. And that's not to minimise the importance of the well itself, but you know, the food pack is as important because you need to provide short-term solutions in order for the long-term solutions to even matter. Because yeah. if people don't eat, they don't survive, they're not healthy, and therefore the long-term solutions mm. are not there. Mm. And especially for young children, um, they need to have nutritious meals mm. in order to grow you know, you know, effectively yeah. as well. And if they don't get that... I feel like yeah, I, I, I feel like food is like it's like a right you know we don't really mm. I mean I can talk for myself you don't really I mean other than the Madonna move fast you don't really feel the hunger mm. you don't you just you always think oh, I'm hungry I'm gonna eat in about 45 minutes yeah. or, or lunches in, in, in a couple of hours like food is a right that like everyone has a right to and what hits me about the refugees like I've, I've been to Tanzania um, and I've worked with refugees before and what hits me with refugees is how I can relate so much because they look like me, uh, they dress like me, they have phones like us, they have well, they used to or they either still do have social media accounts, and they once had everything and now they've got nothing. Mm. Uh, whereas when, like for example, when I went to Tanzania, I I couldn't relate as much because it's extreme poverty, um, but you can't see yourself in that place because you've never been there, you've never experienced it. But with refugees, when you when you think and when you see them struggling with food, you just want to give them, you know, what you've got in your pocket. Whether even if it's a word of original, you just think, like I'm so, I feel so sad and so sorry for you that you you're struggling. Uh, you don't even have food. This um, it's something that hit me this time in Jordan was uh, how much I could relate to them. I was trying to just put myself in their situation, trying to look at an auntie and think that could be my mother, uh, yes. that could be my gr- grandmother. Um, I think it's you know that point right there you will never see it unless you go out there and you do a deployment yourself and you'll see like at first you might think oh these guys they don't look poor there's a there's a huge misconception between uh, poverty and refugees I think um, and in Jordan I saw uh, the most beautiful um, sort of analogy to uh, refugees and, and you know you see them with a smartphone and you think oh 
you know, someone might think, oh, they're fine. They've got a smartphone. But what you've got to understand is they've had that smartphone since things were fine when yeah. they were in Syria. Uh, it's one of the few things that they've, they've still got. Mm. Absolutely. And I also think one of the stories that just comes to mind while you're talking about that is that one woman that we met that hadn't received a food pack for four years. Yeah. And I've told that particular um, story to people since I've been back. So we've been back around three weeks now. And we've, we've had time to reflect and think about mm. our journey um, a little bit more. And when I've told people, they couldn't believe that statistic. And, you know, on the news and in, in newspaper columns, all the inches that are written about Syrian refugees and refugees mm. more widely, you only see the statistics. You don't see the human stories. And that's what I think one of the, the, the best things about going on a deployment is going and hearing the stories from the refugees themselves are from the people mm -hmm. themselves. I almost don't like to call them refugees because it, it almost paints a picture in one's mind, particularly mm -hmm. how we kind of, how we, how the, the media narrative is, unfortunately. But if you look at it, they're just individuals like us that have, you know, many of them, through no fault of their own at all, been subject to such abuse and things that we've yeah. heard that we probably won't share on this podcast mm -hmm. because we want everyone it to be accessible to everybody. But that's one of the most beautiful things about going on a deployment is that you go and hear these stories yourself yeah. and you can implement it in your own there's life no and hiding the learnings. It. Yeah, there's, there's no, no hiding. Yeah, you can't hide from that situation. Mm. And it's like, it's another thing that is, is quite crazy is like it, whoever's listening or, or even you guys, if you think like, for example, the clothes we're wearing now, potentially some designer labels, the phone you use, uh, the shoes you wear, um, the labels you like, imagine having everything like that one day and then the very next day, not having it, it'll be like even harder. Like for example, people that, ha that are in extreme poverty, uh, yeah, they struggle with water uh, and food, but that's all they're used to. But uh, I think it makes it a little bit worse when you have everything and then tomorrow you have nothing. Yes. It's like, th even mentally, I feel like that's, that's a huge struggle. Yeah, what it is, is the difference is um, when you're hearing about it, from from home when I'm sitting at home hearing about these stories or watching a video about it, um, I do feel it quite uh, quite a bit. Um, to be honest, I feel that that these guys are there. There are people that they need help. Um, we should be helping them. We should be doing this. But that feeling goes in about the next day is gone. Yes. But when you're there, when you're there, when you're hearing the stories from them uh, themselves, you can you. You literally put yourself in that situation, and and for me, while I was there, I was ready to do anything, whatever I could, to help, to help um, the people that are there, to help them in a way where they can they can get back up on their feet and try, and try carry on from there, try try make make a, um, a life out of them out of themselves. Um, and this food pack that we were giving them, not only was it just feeding them, it was taking a lot of uh, weight out of their shoulders, because yeah. um, they they. Sometimes what, what what they were getting provided with with um, was uh, food coupons and stuff, mm -hmm. um, and what they do in order to to pay for the the medications for their children um, because of the injuries uh, one or two have maybe from from their time in Syria or even while they were out there in Jordan, um, they'd have to sell their f their the the f the, the, the foods the food. yeah they'd have to sell the food something like and and buy medication out of it and that food that they were supposed to be feeding their children and their family, yeah. they can't feed it no more. And just them telling us the stories of us being able to give them the food back um, takes a lot of uh, 
weight out of their shoulders is something good to hear. And what I also noticed when we were out there is, you know, the incredible sense of self-respect and dignity that these yeah, people had, <laughs> that they didn't, you know, when they didn't need anything. So we went on the family visits and it's quite a nice time yeah. to move on to the family visit. So if they didn't need anything, they would say, absolutely, we don't need anything else. We're, we, fine, we, yeah. we're fine. Which I think in that situation, if I was in that situation, perhaps I don't know whether I would say the same, to be honest, because you're in such dire straits and it's not only you, but it's your whole family that's reliant upon you mm-hmm. as an individual to, you know, be the breadwinner and to provide. Um, and that's what kind of really struck me is their honesty and their dignity and their self-respect that they still had. And I think that's something that one of the things that I took away from the trip is their resilience, their warmth and their hope. Do you know where, where I think that that faith comes from? Uh, and then that little bit of pride, if, if you want to call it, that yeah. comes from is if you put themselves, if you put yourselves in their situation when they were when they were in Syria and, you know, obviously things were really bad for them to pick up their children, pick up a couple of blankets or whatever they could pick up and, and, and march. They, for them, it's like a bit of a dream. Like they're thinking, how is it possible? Like when we ask them, why is your faith so strong? How is your faith so strong? They think, well, either way, if you're, you know, even if you don't give me nothing, I'll be fine. Um, I've, I've made it, I've survived. Look what I've survived. Uh, I'll be fine. Uh, and it's beautiful to have that mm. mentality, have that so much, such a strong core strength. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, definitely. It's um, at that point where you've been through a lot um, back home, you're just trying to get away from everything that's happening, uh, trying just, just to, to get your kids and your family to safety. Um, the one thing that can, can make you sane at that point um, and make you just push you to keep going is the Iman. Yeah. And so Iman is faith for them. The Iman was, was quite strong and, and, and it shows in them. It shows that um, the way they what's it, the way they explain their stories, the way um, they're they're happy about their lives, they're they're, they're grateful for what they have. Um, it's it's really nice to see. Yeah, and also one aspect that I think a lot of charities are doing more and more of, but still it's not obviously there's not many kind of solutions to this at the moment in that way because obviously you have to look at the immediate immediate need as well is the mental health side of stuff. Mm. We've already discussed these people have been through trauma. They've suffered. I'm almost, I'm almost sure that every Syrian family has some, known somebody that has passed away. The journey from Syria to Jordan yes. or to the other countries alone, that's enough to make yes. uh, someone mentally struggle. Exactly. And I think that's a, a charities are trying to do a lot more of that in trying to mm-hmm. address that issue. So when we went to Zatri refugee camp, yeah. we saw the Hope Centre. Do you guys want to elaborate a little bit about the centre? Yeah. Um, Hope Centre is beautiful man. The Hope Centre is, is obviously it's, So this was my first deployment um, To Jordan uh, And the no, Normally when, when people Are given money to charity they see stuff like um, Building water wells as, we, as we've spoken Before um, Giving food packs out Giving winter aids and stuff like that But the Hope Centre was something that I, I was absolutely amazed about um, uh, it's, it's a place that basically just by the name it actually gives hope mm. to the people again um where th- there was this child that that had many different injuries um and and couldn't walk um with the hope center they they had a lot of physiotherapy they gave the kid physiotherapy they he- help a lot of um, people with um mental uh, problems um 
And when I was there, I saw a child that was being held by a doctor, a doctor one-to-one, um, and and he was obviously progressing. He came out, he was very happy to see us. He came, he smiled, he gave us salam, and he went back and carried on with his work. Um, and people that are going through that to be going to a hope um, a hope center, um, it's it's good to see that that people like that are. Are going to be getting back on their feet again, um, so it's something definitely like I'm happy to see and happy to see that people are investing in. Yeah, yeah it's um, that hopes and it's beautiful. It's in collaboration with Martin James Foundation as well as HRF, I think. And the way that that place has been set up is beautiful. The the color on the walls, the garden, um, it, it exactly how you'd want a hope center to be. Um, the only sad thing is that there's currently, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but around 85,000 uh, refugees yes. in that yeah. scenario. 80 to 85,000, yeah. Um, and that hope center is, it, it's just a, a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. uh, compared to what they actually need. Um, but the staff there, amazing. Um, even the children in there that we saw that had appointments at the time, uh, very happy. They were given crisps and snacks and water and stuff like that and it just gave a sense of you know it was a it was a happy place to be mm. uh, compared to the rest of the camp uh, that place itself was a very very happy place to be and i'd be happy to to be treated there myself um or, or for people i know to be treated there that's how beautiful that place was so uh you know places is standing there uh, and the people there are committed to the cause and touching on your earlier point about it's only a drop in the ocean, I remember the statistic that one of the doctors gave us was it supports at the moment around 100 people. Yeah. So obviously that is only a drop in the ocean. There's many more thousands yeah. that need support. Um, but what the Hope Centre is more targeted towards children. I think they were the first... Uh, they need, they're the future generation, exactly, of yes. course. Another thing, uh, touching on the children, uh, and something that me and you have spoken about, I mean, is... You look at those children, I mean, I can only relate, I mean, because I'm a male, I can only put myself in a, a young boy's shoes, and I can tell you straight, you look in their eyes and you see more of a man than you're seeing yourself. Uh, the amount of struggle, the amount of responsibility that some of these, you know, 13, 14-year-old kids have got is is crazy, a- along with all the mental strain that they've had to deal with. Um, even if you try and picture it, that journey, uh, I mean, obviously we've got to keep it as um, as simple as possible, but that journey walking from Syria to Jordan, trying to find food along the way, for a child, you're never going to let that go. Mm. You're never. And that's going to affect that child and that child's child. It's something that, like you said, it's not something that's, you know, the charities are... Um, full focusing on because they've got obviously food and medical needs and uh, and the rest of it initially but I think the mental health is a huge huge factor uh, if we want to give the Syrian people you know um, their hope again uh, if we want the future Syrian uh, generations to to be okay we need to we need to work on on the children now There was one family that we met. Um, uh, so were these are the family visits. Yeah, the, uh, the family visits. One of the It was one of the earliest family visits where one of the chil- one of the the like we, we were only able to see two of the chi- um, three of the children actually two boys and one girl. Um, 
because the, there was what the oldest child, he, he was 13 years old, he was uh, the oldest male in the family um, because their, their father passed away um, in Syria. Um, but when at that age, at the age of 13, he, what, he, what he wanted to become is uh, um, an English teacher. And he wasn't able to, to go focus on his education because he needed to provide for his family because they had no other income. Um, at the age of 13, that's not what you want your child to be doing. You're not, you don't want your child to be going out there on the streets, to be going to work, um, to feed for a family of three other children and a mother. Um, and they were getting very, very low income at, at that age as well, um, helping out washing dishes in a restaurant or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what job he was doing, but seeing that a child is only 13 years old and he steps up to 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 provide for his family, yes. it it says a lot of things. Um, it it like it tells you that it told me per personally from that story um, that I need to do much more. I'm not doing enough uh, at this age. Um, as much as I'm I'm trying my best to to study at university and hopefully get a good job. Um, I could be doing more. I could be doing much more. Um, at the age of 13, what was I doing? I was just playing games, chilling at home and stuff like that. Um, and these guys are already becoming the, like taking the responsibility of their families at that age. What, and what I wanted to do, and what a lot of us wanted to do was take, them, take him out of that situation and allow him to focus on education like, like people here have. Um, and just just make sure that they, they get raised in a way that is befitting to them. Mm. And, and it's something that we, we, we took upon ourselves to do. Um, and and we're, we're happy, we were, we were lucky, um, I mean, we were happy to hear the news that someone already uh, sponsored them and they were able to, to go focus on their education. But it's something that we need to raise awareness on. Kids at that age should not be going to work should not be trying to raise money for their families when they should be studying and becoming the 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 the, the people of their the like the main people the breadwinners the breadwinners of, of their people like and and be able to raise their kids yeah. basically break that cycle of uh, of it the stints their growth doesn't it if they yeah. go to work at this age um, they they don't have the potential to become a doctor mm. or become an engineer. Yeah. Um, whereas if if they were still in their home countries or if they were, uh, you know, able to focus on their education, uh, there's a chance, there's a greater possibility that they would be able to make, um, you know, an uh, impact and they'll be able to provide a lot more for their families. Yeah, and what it is, is they, it's something that they can pass on to their kids as well. It's, um, education is something that can always be passed on down. So if we are able to, to start by providing this kid with the, with the education, then he can just keep providing it to the future generations of his. It's just sad to see that, you know, for them, unfortunately, and likely, like it, it, rightly so, is that they put education at the bottom of the pile uh, because they have so many other worries and so many other things to, to think about and so many other responsibilities, just like putting food on, on your little brother or sister's plate at the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And it was a young family, that one as well. Beautiful, beautiful children. Uh, the mother as well, when she was telling us her story, um, it was a very detailed story. Mm. And we said to her, um, don't want the children to leave the room. Uh, and she said, oh, my children were there. Um, they, you know, there's nothing that they don't know. Um, and then when she was telling us the story midway, 
one of her middle-aged sons uh, said, oh mother, don't forget about when they did so-and-so. Um, and for him to say those words um, was, uh, was shocking. And I think he, the, the child at the time when this happened, he was around three years old. Three years old, yeah. So imagine how much he remembers at the age of three and he still remembers that he's age 13 now. And, and for me, one of the other stories, I will touch on this in the fundraising night because it's one of the families that we supported, but it was, um, I think, five children. It was one of the last families that we met. Um, and it was the mother who'd come from Jordan to, sorry, from Syria to Jordan. And she had... Um, couldn't walk. Her, her, yeah, she couldn't yeah. walk. She had um, problems with her legs and her spine as well. And she, she knew that she couldn't get an operation because she, if she did, there was a potential that she'll become permanently Worse, paralyzed yeah. and you know couldn't support her children in any way at all. Um, and, and now that's limited also. So just hearing that story and understanding what that mother must be going through in order to try and help her children grow up. And the children that we met had still had smiles on their faces when we went to visit them. Mm. And when we went to visit them again, um, on the Sunday, they had, you know, they recognised us and remembered our um, names. Yeah. As I remembered our names and, and I played like we knew them for years. And also, when we went to their houses, and this happened in every family visit, they would give us water or, you know, a few sweets that they had, mm. knowing that when we would step out the door, they wouldn't have any of things they, for they themselves. Need more, yeah. They need, they need that themselves. Um, so they're very hospitable people, and just understanding you know the way and what they've been through and still they're able to give you know open their arms to be honest if we were to go to our next door neighbors like you know people that we don't know we wouldn't probably get the same treatment because in london it's not really like that um whereas we've just gone into strangers homes and also at the beginning of those family visits we told them that we can't promise anything because we don't want to let them down and they understand that but even when we try and you know speak to them and engage with them, they're very friendly and, and warm yeah, very and right. open their hearts out to us. Mm. With that family in particular, because um, that was a, that was a, um, that family hit home, like uh, uh, every day I'll probably think for a moment about that family. Um, one of the oldest boys, how old do you reckon he was? I mean, the one that was there? Um, yeah. Uh, I'd say he's about 13 or 14, really? probably, yeah. 14 probably 14. So this, I won't even call him a child, I'll call him a man. So this man, um, uh, Hamid speaks Arabic and I, we were just having a chat with him because we could see the pain in his eyes, the responsibility, the burdens of everything. Having a mother that doesn't walk, um, you know, when they had to get, when errands need to be run, it was him that had to run them alongside four younger, children, four younger siblings. And uh, me and Hamid were speaking to him. And just giving him advice, just telling him, like, you know, stay strong, you've got this. This is before we, we changed their lives for the next two years. Um, and he was just, he was just taking it all in. He was just so grateful. He was thinking, you know, these people are like heroes to me. Not many people come to help us. And, and these guys are giving me, like, advice. And you could tell he was going to take it on board. Mm. Um, and then this image right here uh, is something that I'll never forget. So when we went to tell them that we're going to change their lives for the next two years, they don't have to worry about food, school uniforms, um, rent, everything is, is covered. Um, that mother's uh, face, she started crying instantly. Yes. Um, that face right there, especially because uh, I'm doing a, a video edit at the moment, um, 
that every time I've I've seen that, like because I've gone back and I've played it again and I've showed people, it brings a tear to my eye without even trying to even think about it or whatever. Even if I'm just trying to edit it, uh, it would just bring a tear to my eye because that mother's just been praying so hard. She's so helpless, no legs, like can't walk. Uh, got five young children. Amazing man. No uh, source of income. No um, no uh, benefits. No nothing. No food coupons. Mm. No rent paid for. Nothing. Her her children are her only means to survive. Yet she's trying to keep them alive and trying mm-hmm. to provide for them. She's just asking for them to be to be able to go to school. Um, her oldest child was actually at work, um, so we are not able to meet him as well. Young at the age of I'm assuming about fifteen as well. Um, so yeah, so it's it's again just going on that point is. Them being working at that at that age to provide for their family is not is not something that we should just let yeah. happen all the time. So we move on to the orphan funding because I think for a lot of us in the group and us three here, that was one of the highlights of the trips in terms of the time that we were able to spend with children. We all met at a community centre. And from local schools, we we got to meet 65 orphans. Um, just to explain, the Orphan Fund, there was a range of activities, including football, and we had played a lot of traditional games, including mi- musical chairs and, yeah, and a range of others with the orphans. Games as well, yeah. Exactly. Um, do you want to talk about some of your experiences? And then I'll share a little bit about what Osama, who was another team leader at Human Relief Foundation, said about the Orphan Fund in terms of psychosocial care that I think is really important. But if you want to touch yeah. on a little bit about the orphan funding. Uh, I'll start. I'll, I'll keep it simple with the yeah. orphan funding because uh, for me, orphans mean a lot. I don't. I'm mean, to a lot of people, of course, but uh, there's just something special about about orphans. And these kids, I'll start off by saying, like, mashallah, they were so beautiful, from like the way they carried themselves to the way they let go for a day just to have fun. Um, they were just beautiful. Everything about these children were beautiful. Um, my favourite part of that orphan fund day, again, I'll keep it sweet. I was playing football outside, um, taking photos and all the rest of it. Uh, and I, I came inside. I knew, obviously, we were going to eat with the with the orphans, but I, I came inside and I could just see children sitting on the floor uh, eating. And I don't know why. I, honestly, I don't know why, but that was my favourite moment, just seeing them. I Honestly, I was in awe. I was just walking around just looking at all these little orphans just eating and I loved it it, it, it was so it was food for for my soul I, I loved that that was my favorite part above the football above the games above yes. giving them toys and all the rest of it was just simply sit, seeing them eat I loved that um, for me the fun day as well um, it was the part where I was able to because before um, when we were given our food distributions it was a food distribution and you move on to the next one you don't get to meet them properly um, the house visits, they tell you their story, you ask a few questions and you just you move. But with the, in terms of the fun day, what was different about that one is I was actually able to, to bond with the children, um, speak to them, um, see how everything is with them, uh, enjoy my time with them. I've actually got a lot, quite, quite a few younger siblings. So you made I, a lot of friends you did. I've actually <laughs> I made quite a few friends. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's kids over there that I will never forget in my life. Um, because of the bond I created with them. When I left, um, they didn't want to leave me. Um, 
I remember one guy I get, after I gave him the last gift, um, he came, he's like, uh, he told he told me, I love you, come here, come here, let me give, him, <laughs> let me give you a kiss on your cheek. Um, and that, it's just little stuff at the end of the day, but that, that stuff like that, that it, stays it stays with you for the rest yeah. of your life. Uh, that's, that's, that's the, my favourite thing about actually the whole trip. To the what end. would you reckon, yeah, on that point, where, where that, uh, I think I know which child you're talking about as well, where he came and ran up to you and said, I love you and gave you a hug, like, uh, you don't have to say what exactly gave um, to them, but what would you reckon would make you do that to someone else? Like, it would probably be if someone bought you a car, right? Or something huge or something mm-hmm. like... But to them, it was something so simple. It shows mm-hmm. how ungrateful we can... Not, we're not ungrateful, just how unaware we are of the mm-hmm. blessings. You know, like giving them a small item or a toy, uh, how they would react. And it was a genuine reaction as well. Mm-hmm. It, they loved you off. As much as it is about, like... Um, like, as much as everyone really likes a gift and stuff like that, it was—it's not only the gift that that we were we were trying to give them. It was—it's the the love we were trying to give give them as well. It's like giving that gift with love as well. Do you know what I mean? It's something. That's the things that that is appreciated the most. Um, it's not—it's not a way where it wasn't—it wasn't a thing where we're just giving a gift and just chucking it out to whoever whoever and just trying to give it to everyone. But it's something where we're giving this gift to them with love and and. Like help, like telling them that you guys are are, are people. Like we, we actually love you guys. You get what I'm saying? And, the, and, and the that's orphan, what they love the most. Yeah, completely. And, and the orphans that we spent time with, did they had the age was from I think around three or four. There were some little about, toddlers as well. Little toddlers mm. as well. And I think those children that we met on that day have known nothing but the Syrian civil war and the conflict and yeah. and bombs dropping from yeah. above. To be honest. And it just paints a picture that that's all they've ever known. So to them, that is normal. Yeah. Whereas that day helped us in more ways than it helped them because it was it was eye-opening for us. Mm-hmm. So also for them, it was a day that they will never forget either. They and could I know just be themselves, basically. Yeah. They could just be a child for the day. Exactly. They had fun. And some of those um, orphans, when we went... Because after Orphan Funding, we still continued our daily house visits and family visits. Uh, and we went to uh, one house visit and Osama, um, the HRF rep, uh, said, when's the last time you had that much fun like that? Mm. And uh, she said, I can't remember. Yes. And she was a grown-up child as well. She, she was, was about 13, 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, and she said, I can't remember the last time I had that much fun. And all we did, realistically, is just like a, a normal birthday party here. Mm. We played musical chairs. We, but the, the main culture throughout that day, and something that Wasim set the tone from the, from the very beginning was... It's all about fun. Just mm. give them as much fun as you can possibly give them. Just let them forget for one day what they've been through. As much as we were trying to give them fun, I was that that was the be- <laughs> yeah. uh, for me is the best day I that I can remember for myself as well. Yes. Um, it was the day that 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 story is the same in every deployment. Yeah. That's one of the most days where people really have enjoyed themselves, had fun with the orphans, and something that I wanted to share, which. Osama shared with us in the reflection session. So the the reflection sessions were when we came back to the hotel in Iman at night, about nine ten o'clock ish. Yeah, um, and we spent one hour as a, as a wider team, as a group of thirty, to discuss. Sometimes the day. it was longer than that hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some days, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We really enjoyed discussing what we'd been through and the day and the emotions. Yeah. But he shared something that I just I won't read the whole um, paragraph, but it will be put on social media. Um, for those that want to read it in larger in, in larger detail 
but I just want to read it out because I think it really paints a picture of what the Orphan Fund Day was about because yes it was about fun but there's a very serious message behind it as well aid work should go beyond material provision if we claim to be seriously committed to restoring dignity at least three million Syrians know nothing but war and millions have grown up under the shadow of conflict being a humanitarian means restoring well-being, dignity and security. And I thought that was a nice summation of the Orphan Fund Day in terms of what we wanted it to achieve yeah. in providing, you know, that the area and a safe space for them to be happy and be children, like you said, and also encourage them to be children and be themselves as well and have that confidence. Because I think many of the children that we initially when we kind of spoke to them in the first half an hour or so some of them were a bit reserved because they didn't they've never experienced anything like this yeah. and it was just getting them to open up and within the first hour it's like we had known them for a, a very long time yeah the smiles in the room were contagious uh, i mean me and myself i made the bestest friend i've ever made <laughs> till this day her name was Noor. um long story short she was feeding me um she goes to me close your eyes and she was feeding me she she paid attention to exactly how I was eating my food. So whether I dip it in this sauce or, you know, I was dipping it in all three sauces, she, she was feeding me. Um, and that done more for me than, you know, I could ever imagine. It's yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah, that was beautiful. That was that, just that time to you to get to spend with the children, um, eating with them. Uh, I got my food after them and the, the 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 children that I was eating with kept offering me food and they were not letting me um what's it called sit out yeah. yeah and and just eat by myself and I kept telling them I'm gonna eat I'm gonna I'm gonna eat I'm gonna eat they're like no, no eat with us eat with us eat with us um, but yeah it's just it just shows that they they actually care a lot about you um making sure that that uh, you're good as well making sure that you're eating as well it's not just about them yeah, and Hamid do you want to talk a little bit about the football because I know that you and Nadir enjoyed that quite a bit a bit too much yeah, <laughs> maybe a you bit got too bit competitive <laughs> yeah Nadir was out here just running down the wing and <laughs> going <laughs> taking it like it's a, it's a final of a, of a Champions League or something but um, no it was it was it was beautiful to play with them um, Normal has no language. Yeah, yes. no. when I'm playing here, it's, um, I'm playing. It's the guys get together, play one, one hour of a serious session. You see, the guys shouting at each other, making like, why are you not passing? Why not that? Why not doing this and that? Get back, get back. Um, but over there, it was just, it was all fun. Um, yeah. Just making sure, try, trying to make sure that the kids were having a good time, trying to play with them as much as we were trying to win. Both me and Ned, that we were going against each other. <laughs> um, we were, yeah, we were trying to, we were trying to, like, play with the kids and making sh make sure they they had a good time. And all of them, they they came back happy. And they were very good footballers as well. So yeah, very good footballers. Oh, so I was getting twisted and turned yeah, over there yeah. by like f by about seven and eight year olds. You got back to defence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to change positions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was beautiful, man. It was, it was very thing, beautiful. Uh, that I noticed from the football was initially, like when you see a football, you just automatically it's like riding a bike. Yeah. You never forget how to play football. So, for the first five ten minutes, I'm playing football. I'm just playing football. Uh, but then I realised that these kids are standing back. They're watching us. Like they're trying to see how we're playing football. Mm. And they're trying to observe us because obviously, I, I doubt they've got YouTube and Sky Sports, of course, like we mm. do. We've, that's how we know our football and playing and in safety and stuff. Mm. Um, 
But then when you made uh, a really good suggestion, because there's way too many people on the mm. pitch. <laughs> yeah, at least thirty. <laughs> <laughs> we split this into a little tournament, um, and then that's when I saw these kids play football. Mm. Was when you know they had proper formations and stuff, um, and they were very receptive to mm. like you know how football is supposed to be played. Yeah, uh, that was nice. So on the Saturday night, so we were in Jordan for a week, so throughout the week we visited several families and different groups were, went to different families, so we didn't all go to the same families. And then we decided that we would help certain families um, in the fundraising night, but when we were at the fundraising night it was really difficult to make that decision in terms of who to help. So we decided to have a main family that we would support and then anybody that we fundraised over a certain amount they would get the additional funding for their yeah. for their situation mm -hmm. so, so it was in order of kind of immediate immediate need, need exactly yeah. um and so yeah i just open it up to you guys so uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how we decided and what that process was like and then we obviously set up a just giving page and how that grew and grew and it being the most successful fundraising night in human that, relief foundations yeah. during deployments and they've been running deployments I think two year, two times a year at least for since 2013. Yeah, yeah a long time. Um, so well, what happened is uh, throughout the week that we were there, uh, we'd go on uh, house visits and assess the situations of each family. After hearing the, the stories that they have to tell, um, we'd assess the situations of each family. Um, and um, throughout the week, we obviously we met a few families that were in, in urgent need, yeah, dire need. Um, so what what we did is on Saturday, um, we we looked at the, like we assessed the situations and and tried to uh, um, assess which family is in need of the most help. So we ranked it in a way where if we raise a certain amount, the first family will get helped. A second amount, the second family will get helped. A third amount, a third family will get helped. And there was one family actually. There was one child that needed help with his um, with his uh, oh, vision, with his eye, yeah, and. One of the volunteers, um, she just took upon herself to raise the money herself, which was around two thousand pounds to to raise it, and that 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 right there was was motivating for the whole night. Um, and there were other families where they needed money to 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 save um, a kidney, which was which was donated by her, uh, the child's own mother. Um, and for for me, I, I was I put it in a way where. If my mother donated her own kidney to save my life, I'd, I'd do everything to make sure to save that kidney because the kidney, the kidney would go to waste if they can't buy the medicine to, to anti, support it. Anti-rejection tablets. Yes. Yeah, the anti, if, you, if, you can't, uh, buy the, if you can't afford the anti-rejection tablets, which were, were quite expensive, then it'd go to waste. So I took upon myself to make sure I get the message out to everyone that, that's here in the UK. Um, so you did Facebook Live, Insta Live, didn't Inst you? Yeah, Insta Live. Yeah. Um, I, I sent messages out to everyone. I was calling every single person um, on my contact list because I put in in a, in a situation that uh, this is this th yeah this is this is uh, like my mother. This is like my my, my younger brother. Yes. I need to make sure I do everything I can while I'm here to raise money for them. I can I can't I, I was there was no way I could leave uh, Jordan knowing that they're in the situation where. Uh, the the child could uh, could lose that kidney. Well, like a famous tagline, uh, we'll see. If I keep mentioning. Um, 
he said you have to give more than charity you have to give your heart mm. and that's what uh, I think you're describing you yeah. have to give it you have to give your heart yeah it was yeah the heart like it was the first thing like I've, I've been donating to charities and I've been raising money for charities for a very long time but this is the first time I actually put my whole heart into it and made sure that I would I would not leave anything yeah. um, you went from second gear to Yes. Six gear, I yeah. I miss. I, I left our third and fourth gear. I was like, "There's no time for that. Let's go yeah, to six, six gear." Yeah. You know what I mean? You only got six gears. Uh, six gears. Listen, we've got seven if you have yeah. to. Uh, this situation was 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 yeah, was like, deep. Um, I, I got that impression as well from you, Hamidas, mm. because before you did the detailed um, video on Facebook and Insta, and and before you wrote up your write up on Facebook and the other social media channels you you because i think you were downstairs and you yeah. call me you make sure you're getting all the details right and making yeah, yeah. sure that it's you know the best description possible yeah um yeah and i think yeah so just to summarize that case we were able to support that family as well yeah. um and now do you want to touch on the, the other family that was the face of the campaign uh so that brother um Nadir is his name so brothers not the so not yeah. so uh, obviously different from not the volunteer Nadir, yeah um so uh brother not um lost his uh both his arms uh in a attack in syria uh and he uh is in jordan currently with um his family uh his only male um so things are a little bit more tough for him uh obviously where daughters take a little bit you know um extra responsibility in terms of uh, safety and security and and all the rest of it um, so where you can send your 13 year old boy to work is not quite the same with a 13 year old daughter uh, the brother has no arms he's, he had a little baby as well that was just a couple of months old uh, that he couldn't hold uh, mm. because he, he didn't have the limbs to, to hold her couldn't work um, and his family obviously couldn't work either uh, we found that he was the most desperate because his family was quite big uh, there were six of them in total uh, with nobody earning uh, and no sort of um, no chance to earn either mm. uh, so that was the face of the campaign and it, he touched thousands of hearts I mean in total there was uh, over a thousand supporters I think on mm. just giving or ju just around a thousand um, and he was the face of the campaign and uh, the brother was very humble uh, and very very grateful uh, when it came to giving these families, there was like five families or six families in total. Uh, when it comes to giving them the news, because he lived so far away, uh, he came to us, we paid for his taxi and, and he came to our hotel. Um, and he couldn't bring his family because it was quite late. Um, but the brother touched on, on so many things. And, and one thing that touched me the most was when he said, uh, you're God willing, um, you won't ever have to help anyone else. Um, what he meant by that was hopefully we're the only ones that see this kind of suffering hopefully no one else will ever see what we've seen um, and that was something that made me realize his struggles don't end here regardless of us saying that you know for the next two years you're covered uh, his, he's still got to think way beyond that uh, he you know uh, that's something you can never let go of that's something that you can never forget yeah um, it, sh it shows us um, that we take a lot of stuff for granted like our hands is something that um, we use every single day. We don't really think deep about it that uh, it's uh, what's it called. We've got hands. We should like we should be grateful for it and stuff like that. But um, it shows us that uh, 
the hands, the simple stuff that we ha we're given, hands, legs, and stuff like that, we should we should be much grateful for 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 that that we've been gifted with them, because there are people out there that don't have it, and they could be using the hands that they um that that we have to be providing for their families. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if if for example, he didn't get injured um, in in the conflict, he probably we probably would have never met. Mm. Uh, he probably mm. would have been perfectly fine. Not perfectly fine, but perfectly fine to work uh, and try and provide. And where obviously the pride comes into it, not that kind of pride where obviously I'm better than you, but that pride where I've, I'll be okay. Um, he would have. I, I, I genuinely feel he would have been fine. To, uh, we probably would never have met him, mm. to be honest. But his daughters uh, as well. One of his daughters was quite ill, didn't she? Yes. Uh, so we're also covering uh, her surgery her medical costs as well. Mm, yeah. She had a speech impediment. She went mute from the conflict um, and it was affecting her in more ways uh, than you can imagine. So, And just to put everything in context, so when we set up the Just Giving page, I think we set it up around about UK time. It was about 9 o'clock. UK, I think it was 8. 8 o'clock. Yes. Yeah, 8, eight 9 o'clock. Yeah. And then within 6 hours or even probably less than that, we raised around 30-35,000. The main aim was to, to help as many families as we could and luckily we, we were able to help quite a few families. And that just proves when individuals, you know, within a week we became like a family, all of us. Yeah. And with the people that, you know, we met, we all became one large family. And it just shows that when individuals have a common purpose, yeah. coupled with work dedication together, yeah. and work together, that you can achieve things that you put your mind to. So if you think about it, if you go back here, what did we lose that night? Nothing, just a Nothing. bit of sleep. But mm. look at how much we gained. Yes. Like if you look back, we didn't lose anything. We didn't like yeah. sacrifice anything. But we raised 37,000 yeah. pounds. And that is going to change so many lives yeah. for the next two years, yes. at least minimum. And it, like we spoke at the start of the podcast about a knock-on effect. Yeah. So it's not just helping the, the immediate families that we've saw, but the wider community. Mm. Brilliant. So before we end the podcast, yep. I just wanted to go and speak about your final reflections, because obviously we've been back from Jordan for about three weeks, yeah. and we've got back into our day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. But those thoughts, those stories, those memories are still very much at the forefront of our minds. Yeah. Just very briefly... Hamid, Nav, do you want to just touch on the main takeaways that you would hold in your heart for a very long time? Um, I'd say before I went to the deployment, obviously I didn't know much about the situation that's going on over there and stuff. Um, but with me, like my purpose in life wasn't, it wasn't really that big. Um, I was just trying to go with the flow, just go university, get a job after it, uh, make money, raise money for my, I mean, yeah, raise my children. Um, have a family, but after I went to the deployment, um, it actually changed everything. But seeing that there's actually a, a purpose for me in this life, there's actually there's so much I can do in this life, um, and it changed my whole uh, aspect in life. There is, it changed what I wanted to do in life. Um, I wanted to, uh, I now want to use my my skills to to benefit people the most that I can. Instead of just try raise as much money as I can for for my for, for my family and get a good job, um, it's about getting a job that right now I'm thinking about getting a job where I can help the people, help people that are actually in need. That's that's the biggest change for me in my life. 
for myself, um, a little bit confusing to be honest. I'm still trying to figure it out um, because I've been a few times. Um, I've learned different things from each deployment. Uh, this time, I'm not so much sure about what I learned, but what I know is that I'm no longer gonna limit myself. I'm gonna go out there in terms of, uh, like you said, an ambassador. And I want to do huge things. I want to set my bar stupidly high um, and try and do as much as I can. And that all comes from the staff at HRF uh, and fellow brothers like yourselves that have given me that belief. Um, I, I've, what I've learned is that there's always going to be more need than there is help. There's always going to be so many more people that need the help than, than helpers. So it's up to the helpers to take it to that next level um, and reach the hearts of thousands uh, and, and try and help out as much as, as possible. And if it wasn't for the HRF staff, it, for me, it would just be another deployment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, HRF staff from start to finish, from even when we flew out to Jordan, were incredibly helpful, incredibly supportive, and I couldn't recommend a better organisation to go on a deployment with. And my final thoughts are... I've just the last. I've obviously been on a deployment before to Jordan. I'm um, in different areas of Jordan, but a similar deployment because I know that you've been to Tanzania yeah. and other other countries. But for me, I've been inspired by the refugees that I've met. Truly inspired by their resilience, because you almost put yourself in that context and that environment, and think, how would I fare in the same situation, knowing that my family, my mother, my father, my brothers, my sister, my wider family, you know, my wider friends that you guys would, would would fare in that situation and I can't contemplate a scenario where I would be able to cope in a scenario like that. So I've been truly inspired and I really want to do as much as I can as an individual but also collectively working with like-minded people like you guys to ensure that how can we have the greatest amount of impact so put our skills together um, and we've got various skills in that whole team of 30 that gelled really well so you know this and I've always said this since I've been back and even I said it on my first deployment is this is only the beginning let's ensure we use this experience as a springboard to learn more and to gain more experience from one another and go and do more things for communities around the world and shine a light on issues that are not spoken about enough in our society and make sure those are at the forefront of people's minds and make sure that we do ourselves justice and one thing that we actually haven't mentioned which I think really summed up the trip and this was again from the HRF staff in, in the way they encapsulated it and they said that this wasn't about charity this wasn't about handouts but this was about fulfilling the rights of the most vulnerable people in the world and that's something that has stuck to me and I think about that statement every single day since I've been back it's not about a charity case or set up a just giving page and you know donate and, and, and this kind of needy attitude but it's about fulfilling their rights and it is our responsibility those have as you've both said very articulately we've been blessed with so much in our life and it's our responsibility and our obligation to go and serve those people where it's supposed to be in service of humanity and i think that is the best way that we can do it and i'm sure yeah, with you I guys agree. we can do more do you have any final comments that you want to add before i summarize? yeah um just on you guys' points about the hrf team uh, it's not for me. It wasn't a thing where I only learned stuff from the 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 people, the Syrians that I met over there. Um, 
the, the biggest lesson I, I learned was actually from the HRF team how to treat yes. the, the refugees, the, the link between you and, and, and the, the beneficiary. Um, how to, when I was there, I felt like me and them were on the same page. They, they I feel like it's like I'm, I'm speaking to my own brother, my own sister. Um, it wasn't a thing where I'm giving to, to you, you're below me. No, it's a thing where we're all on the same level. And it was, it was the same thing with, with the HRF team. Um, it wasn't a thing where the, they're the boss and I'm, I'm a volunteer. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. It's a thing where it's like um, uh, we're brothers and we're sisters. Like you, um, they're, they're guiding me and showing me the way. Do you understand? It wasn't, it, it wasn't ever a thing where I never felt like um, there was a difference between me and the, the beneficiary or me and, and the staff members. At the end of the day, it was, it's all one cause. We were all in this together. That was for me. That's the biggest lesson I learned actually from the from the whole trip. Absolutely. Uh, final message for me is uh, if you if this podcast has planted a seed inside you or something else has follow water that seed and go out there and do something. Uh, even if you don't go physically due to work commitments, family commitments, whatever, you are only going to better yourself the amount you're going to learn about yourself the amount you're going to learn about you know why you've been put on this planet the purpose behind it and all the rest of it you're going to gain 15,000 times more than what you're going to put in so yeah, please uh, follow that follow that intuition follow that gut feeling that I know I can do more I know I should be doing more uh, follow it and you won't regret it well that just leaves me to thank Hamid, Nav, thank you very much thank for your you, time. Thank you. Sharing Welcome. your experiences, sharing your insights and being so enthusiastic and passionate about it. And thank you for your work on this issue. And I'm sure I know that you guys are going to go from strength to strength and achieve even more great things. And I really look forward to seeing what you guys achieve in the next few years. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Man. Thank you. I appreciate um, being with you guys um, and sharing the story. So let's go get that milkshake now. <laughs>